Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. One of the most famous conversations in all of human history started with a secret. Nicodemus, respected Pharisee, honored member of the Jewish ruling council, had come to the end of himself. No one else knew it, but he did. So late on a Thursday night, he got up from dinner and he said to his wife, I'm going out. I'll be back in a couple of hours. She said, Nick, it's late and it's dark. Whatever you need to do, it can wait till tomorrow. He said, this can't wait. I have questions and I need answers. So Nicodemus, respected Pharisee, honored member of the Jewish ruling council, set out at night. He stayed to the shadows. He was searching for a man who he thought just might be able to answer his questions. See, lately Nicodemus has been feeling like something's missing from his life. Like the life that he's living is like a shadow of what it should be. Which is weird too, because if you went around Jerusalem at that time, and you asked people, man, if you could switch places with anybody, who would you choose? Many of them would say, Nicodemus. He had an amazing family. He could not be more thankful for his wife and his kids. He had more money and more status than he ever would have needed. And yet he had these questions. Why do I still feel like something's missing? Why, when I have such a full life, do I feel such a sense of emptiness? So he set out at night, and he stayed to the shadows in search of a man named Jesus. He had seen Jesus perform miracles. He had watched Jesus drive the scam artists out of the temple courts during Passover. And he had listened to Jesus speak. And as he heard him speak, something inside of Nicodemus said, this man, this man, this man might be able to answer my questions, maybe even fill this emptiness inside of me. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi... We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. You are a teacher. Well, Nicodemus was a teacher too, and yet he went out in search of a teacher. Why? He's at the end of himself. There's all kinds of different ways to come to the end of yourself, but we've all been there. You've been there. I've been there lots of times. I remember when I was a little boy growing up in Red Deer, Alberta. Before our family moved out into the countryside, I lived in a townhouse right in downtown Red Deer. And one morning I was eating breakfast and I looked on the back of my honeycomb cereal box and there was this honeycomb race car and I thought it was about the coolest thing that I had ever seen in my life. And the back of the honeycomb cereal box told me that if I sent in a certain amount of box tops, that they would send me a replica of this honeycomb race car. And I set a goal, probably the first goal I had ever set in my little life. My mom was so nice, she kept buying honeycombs, and I ate those suckers. I ate them till the roof of my mouth was shredded, okay? I just ate as many honeycombs as I could, until finally the day came that I had enough box tops. And with the help of my mom, I sent the box tops in, and every day I would walk up to her and say, is the race car here? And every day she would say no. Day after day, week after week, month after month, until finally the day came when she said, I don't think 
the race car is coming, and it didn't. And I came to the end of my little self. Got a little bit older when I was a teenager and a young adult. I never outgrew my love of honeycombs, but I kind of outgrew this notion that a toy could fulfill me. So I came up with a new goal. The new goal was reputation. I'm going to work on my reputation. I just need to be tough and popular. If I'm tough and popular, that surely will be enough. And yet I became tough and I became popular, but I still felt scared. And I still felt alone. And I came to the end of myself. I got a little bit older. I started my professional years. I was a history teacher and a basketball coach. And I remember the day I was at the Sandman Inn. I was at the Sandman Inn because I was there with the senior boys basketball team that I coached, and we had qualified for provincials. Not only had we qualified, but we won the semifinal the night before. We were in the final, the championship game that night. And I was walking down the hallway of this particular Sandman Inn, and a couple parents of the players that I coached walked up to me and said, have you seen the Vancouver province? Said no, but I thought it was just another article on the team or another article on one of our players that said, have a look. And on page two of the province, there was this group called the Fraser Institute. And what the Fraser Institute had done is they had gone through every government exam in every school in all of BC. And what it came up with was that I was the number one history teacher in all of BC. And three hours later, we tipped off the championship game and we ended up winning. And I went to bed that night wondering why in the world it didn't mean anything like what I thought it would mean. Why in the world that it didn't feel anything like I thought it would feel. And I came to the end of myself. Over the last 10 years, I would describe my life, relatively speaking by Mike Manis standards, as pretty in control. Pretty in control. Not chasing after toys, not chasing after reputation or toughness or popularity, not chasing after winning or success, just pretty in control. And then at some point I looked around the world and it hit me, oh, I can be as in control as I wanna be, but this world ain't, this world's out of control. There's diseases and wars and earthquakes and pandemics and restrictions and quarantines and forest fires and floods. You can be as in control as you want to be, I thought. But for me and for my family and my, for, for my friends, there are no guarantees in this life of safety, of ease, or of comfort. And I came to the end of myself. There's all different ways to get there, but we've all been there. And there's something pretty good about it. It's not fun and it's not easy, but there's something pretty good about coming to the end of yourself because you start to ask yourself some pretty important questions. Like, what do I do when I send in all the box tops, but my race car doesn't show up? What do, what do I do when I've done everything that I should do, but it still didn't work out? I did everything that I could do to save my marriage, but I wasn't able to save my marriage. I did everything that I thought I needed to do to raise my kids, and yet my kids have still turned their back on me. I've done everything that I thought I could do to be healthy, but it didn't work out. I've done everything that I thought I 
could do to get that job, to get that raise, to get that promotion, to get that scholarship, to make that team, and yet somehow it wasn't quite enough. What do I do then? Or what do I do when my reputation far from matches my reality? What do I do when my reputation far from matches my reality? I might look tough, but I feel scared. I might seem popular, but I feel completely alone. I might look wealthy, but I feel absolutely broken. I might look like a winner, but I feel totally and completely lost. What do I do then? Or what do I do when I finally attain the ultimate? When I achieve the ultimate, the thing that I thought would finally fully satisfy me, what do I do when it doesn't feel anything like I thought it would feel? When it doesn't mean anything what I thought it would mean. What do I do then? Or what do I do when, even though I'm relatively in control, I look around a world that seems to be completely out of control at times, and I see the chaos, and I see the uncertainty, and I see so many things that could cause me fear until anxiety takes a hold of me, and it just won't let go. What do I do? then. All kinds of ways to get there, but when you get to the end of yourself, you start to ask some pretty important question. And I think the answer starts with taking a page out of Nicodemus's book. We make our way to Jesus. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You're a lot deeper than people think you are. You're a lot deeper than people think you are. I'll take that a step further. You're a lot deeper than you know you are sometimes. Like, I think on some level we all get it, right? Like, I'm more than flesh and bone, I'm deeper than that. I'm more than brains and brawn. I'm deeper than that. I'm more than feelings and finances. I'm deeper than that. C.S. Lewis said it this way, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. You are spiritual. You are spiritual first and then physical, and therefore, and therefore, and therefore, your life must be lived from the inside out. You are spiritual first and then physical, and therefore, your life must be lived from the inside out. In other words, for you to be really, truly, totally alive, that aliveness must start at your spirit and make its way out into your physical life. Jesus says, you know what, your physical life starts when you are physically born but your spiritual life starts when you are born again. And that can only happen with God's help. It's weird though because on some level we know that we're more than flesh and bone, we're more than brains and brawn, we're more than finances and feelings, we get that. 
But the physical is so solid, so tangible. I can see it. I can taste it. I can smell it. It just makes so much sense. And yet, there's a mystery. Because we all kind of have this notion that there's something more. That not only do we need to be born, but we need to be born again. Billy Graham said it this way. Can you see God? You haven't seen him? I've never seen the wind. I see the effects of the wind. But I've never seen the wind. There's a mystery to it. You must be born again. You must be born again. You must be born again. I would suggest this, that no matter how you got to the end of yourself, when you've been there, it always stems from one root cause, trying to live your life from the outside in. When you found yourself at the end of yourself, at the end of yourself, it always stems from one root cause. You're trying to live your life. I'm trying to live my life from the outside in. I'm trying to chase after all these outside things, hoping that they can make everything all right inside of me. You know, if, if, if I get enough toys, if I get enough money, if I get enough sex, if I get enough uh, uh, respect, if I work on my reputation, if I'm tough enough, if I'm popular enough. If I win enough, if I'm successful enough, if I can finally like just settle down everything in my world so it all makes sense and it all seems safe, huh. deep down inside I'll be okay. It doesn't work. When you try to live your life from the outside in, it always ends in the same place, the end of yourself. Jesus says life is meant to be lived from the inside out, not from the outside in. You must be born again. Jesus said, you must be born again. Water and the spirit. You must be born of water and the spirit. Water represents cleansing. Cleansing. The spirit represents power. So you know, in order to be born again, we need to restore a perfect, unbroken relationship with the God who created us. You know, that, that feeling of emptiness, that feeling of there's got to be more, he's the more. So in order to be born again, we need to restore that perfect, unbroken relationship with God. Here's the problem. God is pure. God is holy. And he can't relate. He can't be in relationship with that which is not pure and that which is not holy. That's not really me. I'm not completely pure and I'm not completely holy. That's why Jesus came. You must be born again by water. Cleansing. Jesus died on a Roman cross. The Bible teaches that his blood cleanses us. That because of Jesus, I can be completely pure and I can be completely holy, not in my own efforts, but through his grace. So I can be made literally, I can be made spiritually new. I can be made spiritually alive. And when you live your life from the inside out, what it means is if I'm spiritually alive, that aliveness will end up manifesting itself in my physical, mortal life. Jesus said, you must be born again. Born of water and born of the Spirit. The Spirit is power. power. Romans 8 verse 11 says this. The same Holy Spirit power that raised Jesus from the dead will give life, will give life, will give life to your mortal body. 
We try to live life from the outside in and we try to chase after all these things thinking hopefully finally it'll make everything okay in here, but it doesn't work and where do we end up at the end of ourselves? Jesus says reverse it, inside out. Find yourself spiritually alive and watch that aliveness manifest itself. Find yourself spiritually free and watch that freedom manifest itself. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. Well, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know when we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? And no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. There's this event recorded in the Old Testament of the Bible. The Jewish people are under a curse. It's a curse of snakes. They're getting bit by these snakes and they're all dying. And God instructs Moses, hey, stretch out a snake on this pole and hold it up. And every Israelite that looks at that snake will be saved. Jesus is looking ahead here to the day that he will be stretched out on a pole. Called the Roman cross. And all who look to him will be saved, not just for a day, but for ever. Let me, tell me, let me tell you something that you already know. This world is not everything that it should be. It's not a shock to you. It's not a surprise to you. This world is, is under a curse. It's like we look at this world and we go, there's beautiful, but there's also ugly. You know, there's, there's light, but there's also darkness. There's love, but there's also hate. There's hope, but there's also despair. It's not, it's a world of not quite. It's a world of less than. It's a world of not really. And it started way back in the beginning when men and women walked away from God. I, I talked to you last week that God is a giver. God is a giver. God is blessing. God is blessing. So when you walk away from God, you walk headlong into a curse. And it's this curse that our world is under that makes us look around and go, why is there so much beautiful but so much ugly? Why is there so much hope but yet there's also so much despair? Why is there so much light but there's also so much darkness? Why is there love but there's also hate? Why is that? Oh, it's a cursed world that we live in. And Jesus came. And he faced the curse. All the darkness, all the despair, all the hatred, all the ugly. And the ultimate manifestation of the curse is death. There's a reason why we mourn death by the way we should. It feels wrong because it is wrong. It's not the way that it was supposed to be. We're under a curse. If anyone ever asks you, and they will, why did Jesus have to die? Why would God send his son to die on a cross? This is the answer that you must know. The answer to why Jesus had to die, why God sent his son to die on a cross, here's the answer. In order to defeat something, you need to face it. 
Jesus took on every curse and defeated it for you and for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's weird, you know, I wasn't supposed to preach today. Months and months and months ago, we came up with a plan for how this year was gonna work, and this was supposed to be a week that I was gonna take off from preaching. I have to admit, when I saw the journey that we were taking through the Gospel of John, I realized that today was John 3, 1 to 17. I was a little bummed out that I wasn't preaching, but I thought, it's, it's fine, it's supposed to be this way. And so we handed this week to an amazing communicator, hard worker, incredibly dependable person. And about a week ago, they reached out to me and said, I can't do it. I said, what? Can't do it. Just can't do it. So we reached out to another amazing communicator, another dependable person, another hard worker. And they said, I can't do it. I just can't do it. And, And this is a little bit of a long story, but a pastor from another church actually heard that we were looking for a speaker for this week, reached out to me and said, hey, uh, here you might need a preacher for October what, October 23rd. I said, yeah, we are. It's funny that you should mention that. He said, I'm in. I'd love to do it. I'd love to do it. I said, great. He said, what's the topic? He said, John 3, 1 to 17. He said, I can't do it. It doesn't really make sense, does it? Like on one level, wouldn't you think? John 3, 16, man, it preaches itself, doesn't it? Like, in fact, part of me was tempted just to get up here today and and, and read John 3, 16 and 17 over and over and over and over and over again until you guys just got up and walked out. (laughs) On some level, it seems like it preaches itself, but maybe that's the problem. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if John 3, 16 has become a catchphrase and a slogan. I wonder if it's become a sign or a billboard. I wonder if it's become a t-shirt and a tattoo. And by the way, if you wanna get a John 3:16 tattoo, I think that would be a great idea, but we need to understand something, it goes deeper than that. Like, do you hear this? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is revolutionary. 
This is mind boggling. Please understand something. There is nothing like this in all of human history, nothing. No school of thought, no philosophy, no worldview, no religion. This is mind boggling, this is revolutionary. This is not a catchphrase. This is not a t-shirt, this is not a tattoo. It's so much more. It's mind boggling. Three things I want to tell you about you as I read through John 3, 16 and 17. You are loved. You can be saved. And you can be free. Number one, you are loved. That's revolutionary. It's mind-boggling. You are loved. We're all placed on this planet with this need to be loved, aren't we? We want to be loved. We want to be lovable. I remember this old country song when I was a little kid. It said, looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because we just want to be loved. We just want to be lovable. But there's something about this world that makes us feel less than. There's something about this world that makes us feel forgotten or overlooked or ugly or unlovable. Well, here's the good news. You are loved. You are loved. Fully, completely, absolutely loved. Not some past version of you before you biffed it. Not some future version of you when you finally get your crap figured out. You are absolutely, completely, and totally loved right now. There's nothing that you could do to make him love you more. There's nothing that you have done which makes him love you less. You understand, this is a revolutionary aspect of it. Listen, listen, listen. You are loved, not based on your credentials, but based on his capacity. There's nothing like this. You are loved, not based on your credentials of being a lovable guy or a lovable gal or being well-behaved or being whatever. No, no, that's irrelevant. You understand? It's absolutely irrelevant. It's not, it does not matter. Your love, his love for you is not based on your credentials. His love for you is based on his capacity, which by the way, is infinite. You are loved. It's mind boggling. You can be saved. You can be saved. Let me tell you something you already know. Something's not quite right about this world. And Jesus stepped into human history to face the curse. So that for you and me, despair doesn't get the last laugh. Darkness doesn't get the last laugh. Death, death does not get the last laugh for you and me. It's mind boggling because something about this world we live in, something about human nature makes me think, well, man, if I want to transcend, I got to transcend. I got to pull myself up by my own bootstraps, right? I got to do it. I got to reach higher. I got to do better. And Jesus comes to you today in John 3, 16 and 17 with a revolutionary message. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about the work that you've done or the work that you need to do. It's about the work that he's already accomplished through his death and resurrection. You are loved. You can be saved. It's mind boggling. It's more than a slogan. It's more than a catchphrase. It's more than a t-shirt. And finally, you can be free. You can be free. I hear people say this sometimes. 
I'm my own worst critic. I'm my own worst critic. Pretty heartbreaking statement, don't you think? I'm my own worst critic. It's pretty heartbreaking because for so many people, it's absolutely true. You know you so well, don't you? You know you so well, don't you? And when you look back at your life, here's the truth, you know there's things that you did that you shouldn't have done. There's things that you said that you shouldn't have said. Here's the issue. We get it, it's true, it happened, and you can't. Time has this pesky nature, it's linear. You can't go back and undo the things that you did and unsay the things that you said. And no matter how many good deeds you do, there's still this part of you that knows, but I still did that. I still said that. That's why it's pretty good that John 3, 16 doesn't say this. God was so ticked off at the world. God was so annoyed with you that he sent, sent his son to crack some heads. So all the idiots in the world who were acting like idiots would get, finally get what was coming to them. John 3, 16 and 17. It's not what it says. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. It's revolutionary. You are holy. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. It's not your holiness, it's his. He gave it to you. You can be pure. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. It's not your purity, purity, it's his purity. He can give it to you. You are new, you are blameless, you are spotless. What? Yeah, yeah. It's all his, he wants to give it to you. See, one of the most famous conversations in all of human history started with a secret. Nicodemus, respected Pharisee, honored member of the Jewish ruling council, set out at night in search of hope, in search of answers, in search of more, and he found Jesus. And he found Jesus was everything, everything, everything that he was looking for. It's funny because the most important conversation in my lifetime, the most important conversation in my history happened at night also. In the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer, Alberta, I came to the end of myself. And I cried out to God. And I was just thinking this week, it's almost as if God could have said to me, you don't have to yell. You don't have to yell. I'm right here. As close as a whisper. See, I would say to you today, if you find yourself in a place, if the truth is for you that you are at the end of yourself today, I can tell you this, look up. You don't have to yell. He's right there. You are loved. You can be saved. You can be free. That's the gospel. That's the gospel, it's not a t-shirt. It's so much more. And for 2,000 years, this gospel has been preached. 
for 2,000 years, this gospel has been preached. And I'll tell you something interesting. For that same 2,000 years, there is a resistance every time the gospel is preached. For 2,000 years, the gospel has been preached. And for 2,000 years, there is the same old resistance. Watching online, in person, some of you are feeling it right now. For 2,000 years, men and women like me have stood up on stages like this, on dirt paths, wherever, and they preach the gospel. And for 2,000 years, the resistance has been the same. You want to hear it? Some of you are feeling it right now. I am loved. God might love everyone else watching online right now. God might love everyone else in here right now. God couldn't love someone like me. Well, I can be saved. God could save anybody else in this room right now, but God could never save me. Oh, I can be free? No, no, no. God could set anybody free, but not me. I'm going to close with a story. There's a guy named John Newton. John Newton wrote a bunch of hymns. One of them that you might have heard is called Amazing Grace. It, it, it says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. It saved a wretch like me. Huh. What was John Newton getting at? John Newton, as a younger man, was the captain of a slave ship. He was the captain of a slave ship. You, you can spend a lot of time looking back through history and not find anything more disgusting than that. But he came to the end of himself in a storm off the coast of Ireland. He called out to God and God said, you don't have to yell, I'm right here. And Jesus saved him. And he changed him. And John Newton spent the rest of his life fighting for the abolition of slavery. He teamed up with people like William Wilberforce to make Britain one of the first industrialized countries to abolish the slave trade, and yet, and yet, and yet, John Newton always knew what he had been, what he had done. Just months before his death, his memory was cloudy and his vision was fading. Just months before his death, he said this, my memory is cloudy but there's two things that I still remember clearly. My vision is fading, but there's two things that I still see so clearly. I'm a great sinner, and Jesus is a great savior. You are loved. You can be saved, you can be free. Do you not know? Have you not heard? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him.
God, in this moment, we affirm that we don't have to cry out to you. We don't have to yell to you. You're right here. In this moment, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I would ask you to consider this question. Have you come to the end of yourself? I have good news, you are loved. You can be saved and you can be free. Not through your own efforts, not through your own striving, not through your own obedience or behavior, but through the love of a savior, a great savior named Jesus. So if today is the day that you wanna call out to him, please know he's right here. So if this is the moment that you wanna invite him into your life, whether you're online or in person right now with heads bowed and eyes closed, can you just raise your hand right now because I wanna pray for you. Don't mind. Amazing. Amazing. If your hand is up, you can put it down and I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray out loud and invite you just to pray silently with me. So Jesus, thank you that you're right here. You always have been and you always will be. I ask you to be my savior and just make me clean, God. Jesus, thank you that you took on death, despair, and darkness for me and overcame it all. So I pray that you would give me the strength to be fully, completely present, to be fully, completely alive not just today, but tomorrow and forever. And Jesus, for all of us right now, whether we've been in church for a, a day or for decades and decades, we just wanna say thank you. That we never had to yell. We never had to cry out. You've been right here. And as we continue to find ourselves from time to time at the end of our efforts, at the end of our strength, at the end of ourselves, thank you that we only need to look up. We are alive. We are free. Always because of you. We thank you in your name. Amen. Let's celebrate. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.